Hello and welcome to another episode of Rewild My Bio. Today my wild and wonderful guest is Stephen Collette. Stephen is a building biologist and the host of the podcast Your Healthy House. You can check out all of Stephen's content over there at yourhealthyhouse.ca. I'm joined here in this intro with my co-host and good friend Richard Vixenic. What's happening? Oh, just hanging out at home. Yeah, at home, right? It's uh, here we are. I think timely releasing this one, uh, given that we are in the middle of quarantine. Everyone's, you know, working from home. Everyone's spending a lot of time indoors right now. Mm-hmm. So what a perfect time I think to throw this one out there, uh, talking about building biology and how our homes affect our biology. Um, and it was actually you who had introduced uh, me to Stephen. So thanks for that. Yeah. Um, maybe you could, yeah, like. What do you what do you think's awesome about this episode and releasing it right now? I mean, I think it's great because uh, you know we might not under not, may not realize, but there's certain things about our homes that might not be the best for us. So um, I think it's a timely episode for sure. Yeah, I think it just brings a lens to um, you know a lot of us are sort of cooped up and um, aren't necessarily really thinking about how that affects our biology and how we really want to be able to maximize our our health at the moment. Right. Right. And Uh, so part of this, you know, there, there might be some information in here and go, well, there's nothing I can change about my situation. And, uh, you know, am I going to feel overwhelmed about that? Right. At least not right now. Amazon's not, people aren't showing up with say a new fancy air filter, that stuff that we're talking about in this episode for sure. But hopefully there's a couple things in there that you can, you can pick up about, you know, how to minimize, uh, exposures to certain emf radiations or you know just opening your window definitely opening your window putting zip tying your uh wires together to a grounded outlet so that you're not yeah again letting off so much so many easy quick tips i think we could do you know talking about standing desks and things like that so a lot of good resources here for sure and also just kind of highlighting the importance that if we are living in certain situations where we do have an opportunity to respect this physical distancing but also get outside that that's really really important yeah i know that's just it i've been posting a lot of the you know the stay at home stuff online and, and everything like that and it's it's always pictures of me out at the beach which i'm lucky that we have this ginormous beach where i can practice social distancing and still be outside i also am lucky that i have a backyard so okay. you know I, I but i understand that's not the case for folks living in urban centers right so right but here we are spring is emerging and uh, hopefully you have a window Yes. And I think most people do. Yeah. So, and that's just it. Um, there'll be, and again, everything to me right now seems so timely with this podcast. I want to release literally, I've got like two months worth of, or more of podcasts and I just want to release them all. Cause I feel like it's so, you know, beneficial right now. Um, and I was even forgetting where, Oh no, I do remember where I was going with that is in regards to, uh, my interview with Micah Mortali, the author of rewilding. And he had we had gone through a great um, window meditation you can do, a nature connection oh, meditation. Nice. Yeah, so it was lovely. And that one will be coming out, uh, you know, probably next week actually. So, um, yeah, so stay tuned for that. Um, other than that, I just want to say, yeah, I'm totally grateful for uh, this podcast right now as kind of a kickoff this show was something that I'm grateful for. And it, it's just this platform. I felt um, motivated, re-motivated yet again, Um because I had started the podcast, I worked really hard on launching it, um, finally launched it, and then kind of got into a flow and started getting busy with school and marking. And so here I am kind of feeling re-energized in putting these together and trying to do it in a way that's going to give you guys the tools and strategies that I think you want and we all need right now to reconnect with nature for our health and just to kind of de-stress, right? So yeah, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to connect uh, with you, Sean, Mm -hmm. right now and Mm -hmm. with 
those of you listening it's yeah. um you know connections important right now and uh you know it's taking uh different shapes and forms right now and i'm, I'm weird, grateful yeah. for this one yeah yeah i'm grateful for the actual again the physical uh connection without doubt and i i think it's again we're saying uh i think the term social distancing is not doing us any justice from a i know it might sound like i'm arguing semantics but from a mental health standpoint i don't think it's doing much good because uh what we're technically doing is practicing physical distancing and we're working on our social cohesion through means of internet and technology and i think that's a wonderful wonderful thing so um true that should we get into this one then without further ado let's do it yeah let's do it all right so uh please check out steven's work his podcast has uh, much more nuanced and focused episodes than what we chat about today richard and i had our specific questions and i i truthfully i think there could be uh, a future episode with steven back chatting about more things um but i hope you guys enjoy this again please check out all of Stephen's work. Uh, if you have a minute, stop by rewildmybio.com to um, leave a review, leave a rating, leave a review. And actually, I think Stephen has a awesome new episode. It's uh, episode 14, and that's social distancing and keeping your house healthy. So again, Stephen's got us covered right now. Please check out that episode and enjoy the show. Welcome to Rewild My Bio, a self-help and alternative health podcast. I'm your host, Sean Slade. Join me as I share stories, science, and strategies to help you rewild your biology and redefine your biography. an exciting episode today because this is my first remote guest I have here on the line with me. Uh, Stephen Collette, how you doing? Great. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for being here. I've also got my co-host, uh, Richard Vixinic, here in the studio with me. So Richard, please say hello to the folks. Good day, everyone. And hopefully if you heard all three of those voices, then everything worked technologically. And I have to say thank you to all my friends who have helped me set up at this point because it's uh it was a long time coming for this so yeah really excited to get into today's topic though because what we're going to talk about is building biology and Stephen Collette is a building biologist and is the host of the show uh your healthy house and I'm excited uh to pick his brain because Stephen actually also uh, does some teaching for the building biology institute which we'll chat about at the end um but overall Richard and I we actually talked about this on an episode his first episode about his journey back to the land and actually hiring you Stephen to come in and do a full-on assessment before there was even a house there on the land so um yeah I kind of want to we'll touch on that too but uh I guess before we go any farther, Stephen, what exactly is building biology? How did you get into it? And yeah, tell us a little bit about that whole journey. Yeah, sure. Thanks. So <clears throat> building biology is a German school of thought. It uh, looks at the built environment, how it interacts and impacts occupant and environmental health. So basically what happened is post-World War II, uh, Germany was kind of in a mess, right? They had destroyed a lot of buildings and they needed to put people back in homes as quickly as possible. 
And so they had to build these homes, not to the greatest standard, certainly not to typical German, you know, 800 year construction standard. Mm -hmm. And so by the 1960s, doctors were associating illness with these neighborhoods. And so they did something very German, like at that point was get everyone together, get the architects, the city planners, public health, everybody all together and realize that crappy homes make people sick. And so they decided to Kung Fu on the building code and look at public health. And one of the outreach pieces was this building biology Institute to help teach people how to, how to create healthier homes. And so one of those graduates an architect came to North America, translated into English and, and yeah, um, lots of people all over the world are building biologists. Right. So how long has it been, I guess, a profession or, or how did you get into it really? How did, how is it something that you got into? What's your journey? Yeah, so uh, I used to be an aircraft mechanic, and I used to crawl around inside fuel tanks, which if you have a chance, I don't recommend it. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I got kind of sick. I couldn't tell the difference between diesel and gasoline. Um, My wife and I backpacked around the world. We came back. We wanted to build a natural, healthy house. I ended up building straw bale homes uh, for a few years. And I thought I knew everything about healthy and natural and green. And we didn't actually live in a straw bale. We lived in an old century home and my family got sick from mold. Mm. And I realized I didn't know enough to even protect my own family. So I came across building biology. It resonated with me. I took the training. And so that's 15, 16 years ago. Now I'm, you know, one of the instructors. I'm passionate about healthy buildings and making sure people don't have to go through what I went through. Right. Well, and it really has become more popular. At least I've I've become aware of it in recent years with friends like Richard, you know, building homes and other friends of mine that are, you know, buying land um, specifically to kind of get back in touch with nature. It's how, how am I going to build my home in a way that's also kind of allowing me to get in connection with the land. So, um, yeah, it's been on my radar anyways, and I find it fascinating. Where exactly did you do your training at? Like, where does one do training at for something like this? Yeah, so the Building Biology Institute is located in the U.S. It is mostly a virtual uh, institute. Uh, they run three, they run a variety of physical in-person seminars, typically in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, there are some seminars in Ottawa, Ontario this year for new build construction. Um, and then there's a lot of online courses. You can take some little uh, self-learning packages and uh, yeah, mostly online. Mostly online. Okay, cool. And I know uh, before this, you had let me know that there are like obviously uh, like somewhat of guidelines say to building biology um, or principles of building biology. I know you said there was a lot of them, but could you touch on those? Yeah. I guess a little bit, or what exactly? Yeah, what exactly are you guys doing? In well, in the in the twenty first century, when it comes to the uh, green building industry, we're we're kind of understanding that there's checklists. That there's you know, if you do all of this, you get so many points. You'll get a you know gold or silver or platinum or unobtainium uh, environmental building. And building biology doesn't work on checklists. It works on principles. So the idea of just nature is a gold standard. So what's the very best we can do? How can we incorporate nature into our construction that's durable, resilient, long-lasting, healthy for the occupants, healthy for the planet? And using those... uh, using those principles, doing the best that we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those principles really resonated with me or still resonate with me as a naturopathic doctor, right? Because 
essentially we're applying that same sort of principle-based model to the body, right? And right. the building being an extension of our biology. And that's really what led me to you in the end was just that whole principle. And I'm fortunate, sort of the double-edged sword as a naturopath. I was fortunate in the sense that I didn't get sick with mold and that's not what motivated me to you know, build our house in a particular way. It was more the patients that I would see and the exposures that they uh, came across and how that affected their health. And that really put things on the radar for me. And the double-edged sword there is, well, there's no more of that ignorance is bliss thing, right? So you can't really <laughs> charge forward and build a home in a particular way once you kind of start thinking in these principles, right? And so... Yeah, no, Richard, yeah. you're absolutely right. The idea that our home is our third skin. Mm-hmm. So we think of our bodies, we think of our clothing. This is, it's an environment. And, and in German, they call it uh, Baubiology and Ecology. And I've butchered the German translation, but it's building biology and ecology. And when we think about it, our house is a fish tank, right? Like if you don't feed the fish, they float. If you don't change the water, they float. If you don't give them oxygen, they float. If you put chemicals in it, they float. And it's an environment and we have to treat it in a way and create it in a way that actually can be life-sustaining. Right. For sure. Well, that's one of the things, I guess, before we get into the health, because that's obviously what we're most keen on picking your brain about in regards to building biology is how can we, you know, rewild our biology through our homes. So, um, but what's, what's some of the other benefits before we get too into the health stuff, what's some of the other benefits of, you know, having a building biologist, obviously things like economical, like the, you, know, you can help with energy efficiency, obviously, but what are some other benefits to having a building biologist help you out? Yeah, the idea of uh, building biologists, what a lot of building biologists do is look at existing homes. So people focus on trying to fix the problems that are going on, looking at the health, looking at, I do hate the word, and I know we all use it, but a holistic approach to the house. Mm -hmm. So looking at, at all the aspects, chemicals, particulates, biologicals, electromagnetics. Um, And if we're doing that on existing homes, what are the process problems what are the processes what are the exposures what are the solutions when we have the opportunity to do new construction we can look at the idea of like how can we make this as healthy as possible out of the gate right yeah yeah that's a really fortunate position to be in is that building from scratch right and not having to remediate all these problems that are out there in some conventional builds for example for sure Um, yeah Richard, you had that opportunity and some people do. And when I was building natural homes, people had, you know, could make that connection. The challenge is 99.9% of the population lives in existing homes and will for their whole lives. And so we need to be able to help them uh, from a majority perspective and the opportunities to do the fun stuff and the really creative opportunities to create health positive homes Mm -hmm. uh, in new construction is great. So health positive is a really kind of cool way of looking at it, right? Um, In naturopathic medicine, we talk a lot about removing obstacles to cure, right? And so are we, you know, when when you're building or remediating an old home to make it uh, more healthy or building a healthy new home, what are we actually doing? Are we um, putting things in it that actually fix us and make us healthy? Or is it more of a decreasing our burden and our load, Right. So what are we actually doing when we're rewilding? Like, are we just kind of trying to step back in time a little bit here and mitigate some of these influences on our biology that have kind of, you know, not crept in, but like smashed us over the head in the last (laughs) 150 years. Right. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, and sure. com- compounding quick too as as we create more you know, things like 5G technologies and different paint chemicals. And if, as we're not conscious about it and we're looking for obviously the cheapest product out there sometimes when you're building a new home, um, if say someone's even coming back to the land, like just buying land these days is very expensive. So it's obviously important to kind of make sure you know, I guess, where your values are. But we were talking about how we can make our homes healthier. How exactly do conventional homes, where do they fail or how are they not helping, you know, how are they working against essentially our evolutionary biology or what is what are some of the things with conventional homes that are the problems? Yeah, um, I guess a, a brief history of of conventional homes to just get a sense of it because it's not like they're evil. Uh, you know, it's just done out of uh, small steps. But basically, pre World War II, we were building with natural materials. We were building with lath and plaster and brick, and stone, and you know trees. And, uh, you know, our flooring was either solid lumber or was linseed oil for for linoleum. And post-World War II happened. And and what happened at that point is we lost the second generation of apprentices to the wars. We lost the first generation World War I, second generation World War II. We lost a massive skill set that we couldn't actually now do quality work because we didn't have the people anymore. And so... And then on top of that, the factories making all the weapons of mass destruction were out of work. And so they stopped making weapons of mass destruction, started making weapons of mass construction, right? And that's where we get all these factory built materials, right. drywall and you know, sheathing and, and all these materials and the, the industries of chemicals creating, you know, the June cleaver, uh, you know, pearls and an apron and a sparkling spackling 1950s homes, right? because they just needed to keep the businesses going. And that consumerism uh, was created, the University of Cincinnati professor, just to keep the economy from tanking after World War II. And so we had to start looking at disposability and and that drove costs down, which drove the addition of uh, more chemicals, reducing raw materials, you know, natural materials. And so it was just economy that drove us towards that, no maintenance, that, you know, ease of life, the, the wonderful world of the modern jet age. Right. Um, and so it was a compounding, it was a variety of things. And so the homes just became easier and easier to the point today that you don't even have to have a skill to build a house. As long as you got a credit card, you can do it. We can help. Right. Right. Here's your credit card. Here's all the materials to build a house. And so we've lost of- that talent. How much of a challenge is that? And I, I know I can speak from my own experience, but do you find in being in the industry and being, you know, right up against sort of the frontier of it, um, finding those people that can patch this together, right? And, you know, we can have this information. We know volatile organic compounds do this, this, and that. We know it's better if we use magnesium oxide board instead of drywall, all these sorts of things. But, oh yeah, then you got to source it. Then you got to pay for it. Then you got to have somebody install it who knows what they're doing. So yep. do, you, do you see, so my sense is that this isn't, you know, this whole building biology uh, profession is is something that uh, I hope grows and will continue to grow. Um, and do you sense that it is growing and are um, some of the trades and materials that are available keeping up with that demand that might be growing? Yeah, great question. I do see the industry of healthy building growing because of the availability of knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, through the 80s and 90s, it was pretty much a vacuum. We sort of really tried to 
just forget all of our history of construction and, and best practices for health in all areas. And now in the 21st century, we're starting to see that change, right? We have more access, more information, we can understand more. Um, but yeah, the trades are lacking. Absolutely, the trades are lacking. And Canada, you know, I can't get the materials that my colleagues in the US can get. That's a, that's a truth. Um, and so you have to think, be more creative. How can we use materials in a manner that <clears throat> are as healthy as possible and as durable as possible so that they're not going to fail if you're using less than ideal materials in a location? Yeah. Now, that's a really interesting uh, history of, you know, conventional homes. And it's neat to kind of see because I've noticed um, – through looking at things with say a rewilding lens we see as technology rises our connection with nature falls right and here's another example of our of just that right so it's Agreed. yeah yet another exciting time i guess that we're living in where yeah different uh different technologies and industries are arising to kind of combat some of this uh blindsidedness that we're now seeing from some of these things where we're past you know letting letting our health go to the wayside i guess so one thing I'm really interested on that note is the biophilia hypothesis and which yep. basically says our, we need a connection with nature. Human beings need a connection with nature for good health. Um, so it's kind of a foundational principle, I guess, to the show. Um, but how does that exactly differ from building biology? Or I don't know if it yeah. does or if there's similarities. I see them as the same, but at the same time, like I see a biophilia hypothesis or the biophilia hypothesis as the overall problem as someone who's a health researcher. And I see, yep. say, rewilding as a tool to allow us to reconnect connect with that so how is i say i guess building biology kind of helping us through the biophilia hypothesis yeah so the idea with the biophilia from a built environment perspective is you know health outcomes are better in a hospital if you have a window looking out to nature uh, health outcomes are better even if you had a tv with nature playing on it mm -hmm. uh, health outcomes are better if uh, there's like greenery within the building you know productivity goes up purchase values people purchase more if they can see daylight have daylight on them in the stores so that connection to nature certainly helps us building biology takes it a little step further instead of looking uh, out from your cell towards nature build with nature and create durable, resilient buildings using appropriate natural materials. And they create an environment inside that is not stale, not rigid, not um, formulaic, for mm -hmm. sure. Right. Um, and that really changes once you've been inside a natural building, a straw bale, straw clay, adobe, rammed earth, no matter where you are in the world. We have, you know, millennia of, of history of these buildings being very durable. You know, we look at Europe, right? These are all natural buildings. Why do we spend the money and fly to Europe? Because the buildings are beautiful. Because they're like 800 years old and people are still living in them. The average life expectancy of a modern home with no maintenance is 24 years. That's the life expectancy of your mortgage. Sounds wasteful. That's insane, right? Yeah, That's wow. insane. That really is. Um, do you have anything there that you want to add there, Richard question related as I, I was going to, I was just no. going to, well, I was just going to switch gears a little bit, but, um, well, what I wanted to chat with about was like, yeah, how can, how can rewilding our home then be healthier for us? Yeah. I guess like what, uh, what exactly is happening in, in a home that's been inspected, say by a building biologist. Like I, I know having 
been in Richard's home just the other day. I actually made a, a, a comment on, on the feeling that you kind of get from it. And I've been in straw bale homes also where it's just like, wow, this is a, this is a different feel as well. So I guess what, um, yeah, what are you seeing as benefits to getting in yeah, touch with the land? There's a land? lot, there's a lot less physical stress on the body. And the, the most common thing that causes stress that we don't think about is actually drywall. The idea that there's no such thing as a flat, homogenous, white surface with 90-degree corners in nature. You don't see squirrels making houses out of drywall. No. Right? And so our eyes actually have a tremendously difficult time. Uh, uh, <clears throat> there's a physical stress trying to, trying to understand the depth of drywall. Uh, like a plain white wall, right? Your your beige or whatever ugly stuff, and the idea is that it's 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 the same texture, it's the same uh, luster, it's the same uh, opacity, and our eyes have a real hard time, and that causes physical stress. We don't notice it, we don't realize it, but it's actually uh, subconsciously really impacting us, and patterns as well. There's no patterns in nature. We don't have sun dappled rooms. We don't have any of that, right? And but outside, you know, under the trees, we get that variation in light. And that's that's what we love. And so this, you know, single light, single color, single tone throughout, you know, and 18 degrees yeah, everywhere. Right. Our bodies just don't biologically prefer that. We prefer and we do things like forced air in North America, which is stupid. Hot air rises. And then we have cold feet and everybody's crabby. You go outside, you have, you know, we're used to that big, big flaming ball in the sky, keeping our bodies warm. We love radiant heat. And so bringing radiant heat into your home with radiant floor, for example, creates far more uh, uh, biologically preferred uh, comfort because the temperature is moving through the body. The, the blood system works a lot better. So, yeah, it's psychologically, physically, mentally, it's, it's every aspect. Yeah, all around. Um, how did, I guess, I was curious, how, how did your family's, cha- family's health change once you guys, say, did you, did you move out of that old colonial home there with the mold and that? Or would you guys do? Yeah. Yeah? What, <clears throat> yeah, what, we what were, kind we of difference were... did you notice, I guess, since you've gotten into this profession? Well, we moved into another century home. Oh, uh, and... Yeah, we were young and relatively poor. And so uh, we've been in this house now for uh, 14 years. And just four years ago, we finally did the major renovation and addition we always wanted. And so we have, in some of our walls, we have plaster and we have a lot of natural materials, uh, uh, linoleum, like a marmoleum brand. So linoleum floor versus vinyl made from linseed oil. We have natural woods, we have beeswax and linseed oil on our, all our wood trims all exposed. And so we have a lot of natural materials, thermal comfort, um, and just making sure that it's durable. So you can, you know, we have this image of, you know, a house made out of sticks and the three little pigs. And, right. But traditional vernacular local appropriate homes are very, very durable. They just, it's all about the details as with anything. And there's, yeah, it seems to be a lot of details. That's just it. Like um, saying all this stuff, I couldn't imagine going through say an old century home and actually having to do all this stuff. So I could imagine it's quite the, quite the task, but what, so yeah, exactly. How would you start that process? I guess, say if someone has a home um, or let's actually even go back up a little bit, maybe they're, maybe there's 
two ways we can go about this. If you were to come in and do an assessment, what would that look like, say, for somebody who hasn't even built a home yet? Um, and then for, say, someone like yourself who's moved into an older home that wants to do some renos? Yeah, the with an existing home, uh, we try to figure out what the best aspects of, of that building are. And with each decade of construction, because that's roughly, you know, how radical changes within our construction industry or by the decade, you know, there's some pros and cons to every year. So figuring out what the, what the benefits of that building are, what the challenges are. And then if you want to do some renovations, make sure to think about getting rid of carpet, right? There's a, a number one air quality concern is just carpet, you know, Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation recommends we vacuum 10 minutes per square meter. Right. Which, and then which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's insane. And then even think of the, the type of vacuum that you have is going to make a big difference. It's funny. My, uh, my out of sort of little side rant here, my little out of uh, university days, I was looking for a job right before I became a personal trainer, which became my profession for some time. I actually was selling uh, the rainbow vacuums, which, no yeah, so it was funny. <laughs> it was like, I literally did it for two weeks until I got this job as a personal trainer or I was, until I was working on building up clientele, but yeah. I was, I was sold on it. And, um, cause yeah, it's actually a really good vacuum. So I'll put that in the show it notes is. for anybody. Cause yeah, it, when standard vacuums are going to suck in these particles, but they're also going to blow them out despite even being, you know, a HEPA filter on there or what have you, um, these rainbows using water as the filtration system. So it can actually That's clean right. the air in, in a great way. So yeah. Um, another, little tool. Wow. Willie Roman history there. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know. I know. Yeah, I know. I normally don't tell people that, but that's, uh, I haven't yeah, heard that one yet. Yeah, no, there's uh, yeah, there's an inner salesman in me that was waiting to get out, I guess at that time. I was much <laughs> younger. Since we're talking about, so we're talking about, yeah, choosing certain materials, uh, and then vacuums and technology. I'm curious about, um, how you see, uh, technology meeting this idea of building with natural materials. How can, What's the benefit here? Where are some things that can cross over? I mean, I think I have things in my mind in terms of mechanical systems, et cetera. But where do you see um, where we can kind of not throw out the baby with the bathwater again in terms of saying, get rid of all technology now and mm-hmm. just go, you know, full bore into plaster and rocks? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There has to be that balance. Like we can't go back to a Luddite approach of living in a cave. So everyone still needs to. Oh, we can't. Darn. <laughs> I know a lot, of, lot, lot of real rewilders out there might want to. I know that. And, for sure. and part of me know, does too. <laughs> I, I totally understand. And within our spectrum, there are going to be people who are going to lead that charge and we need them out there to show them that it is doable and sure. healthy. And so when we think about adding technology in a new construction, we want to think about the design first and foremost. So we're getting lots of daylight when we want it in the winter, when we don't in the summer, passive strategies, ventilation, opening windows, honestly, goodness, just mm-hmm. being able to open a window. I did one job in, you know, Oshawa, you know, right in the suburbs of Toronto and they had been in the home 12 years and had never ever opened a window yikes and i wow and that's more common than we think and you know with people listening to this podcast are just like humans do that (laughs) right right because we know the people listening to this podcast and my podcast they're not like that right but it's way more common than we think and so being able to educate people that it's not difficult it's not painful it's not impossible and it's actually really healthy so 
changing people's mindsets is oftentimes the most difficult part within the built environment, as it is with any health regime, right? Right. And that's Eating why more these, vegetables. That's why these conversations are important, right? To kind of just present it as a conversation we're having here about thinking a little differently. And maybe it starts to seep into people a little differently in terms of how they want to prioritize things that they do when they're uh, assessing their house that they just bought or that they're going to build. Right. So instead of the three car garage, it's like, ah, I'm going to, you know, get a really good envelope going here in a nice system, a mechanical system, like instead of um, what we think we value. No, it's so true because then, yeah, your car will handle the, the elements, right? Um, mm. And then at the same time, we want a little bit of interaction with the elements. We want clean air and things like that too. So, yeah, it comes down to your values, I guess, right, and where yeah. you can spend your money. But yeah. important stuff unless – is there anything else in regards to the assessment that you wanted to uh, mention there? Well, I, with, with, I was kind of curious on like different tools and stuff um, and maybe even using it as a segue to get into some of the EMF uh, pollution that yeah, we're, sure. we're, we're dealing with. Yeah, a healthy house inspection usually takes three to four hours, top to bottom, inside and out. You know, I just try to figure out how the house is working, how it's failing, how it could be impacting the occupant's health. Mm-hmm. And typically, if there's building failures, it's oftentimes air leakage and water concerns. If it's occupant issues, generated issues, it's typically chemicals. Like that's right. the truth. And people are just like, oh yeah, no, I'm a really healthy person. I do everything healthy. And there's like, you know, bleach and, and you know, Windex underneath. Right. The, underneath so really the taking a look at those products that we're bringing in too, obviously we can, we can do, you know, we can build a home in a way that is uh, sound within the principles of building biology. But if we're bringing in bleach and throwing those chemicals everywhere, I guess we're not, we're not doing ourselves much of a service, obviously. No, you can totally wreck the whole, the whole enchilada right. for sure. Yeah. Okay. So I'll give it with the, and with a new construction, then you're kind of looking at, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what opportunities the site provides, what opportunities the, the occupants need, you know, what are their concerns? What are their issues? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> whether that be biological, particulate, chemical, or electrical. I see. So, and the same thing with the inspection, you know, you're looking at all those potential hazards mm-hmm. and when, with a, the, the healthy house inspection with the, potential hazards, there may be something that they're not willing to give up. That's totally cool, right? Right. Like we all have our limits. So someone may not be willing to give up their, their bleach. Maybe they're just like, you know what? Mom used bleach. Grandma used bleach. I'm using bleach till I die. Great. I don't care, but be cautious with it. Right. Vinegar, vinegar, vinegar folks, just switch to vinegar. I'll just throw that that out there right now. (laughs) No, for sure though. Right. Yeah. It comes down to actually, yeah. Pushing, I, pushing back against your wild edges and seeing, you know, where can I give up these little elements of the, the comfy domesticated life and where can I, you know what, I can deal with the smell of vinegar or whatever it is, you know, like, mm-hmm. and it is, it is just finding that edge and just uh, hopefully making compromises for your health. I guess it just comes down to an individual decision though, right? Well, so. individualization is a key piece here, at least in my experience in working with you, Stephen, is, and working as a naturopath, it's always individualized. Right. Yeah. And so working with you, it's like I, I would come to you with these questions. You know, I'd, I'd do my research and I'd get into a panic about something, <laughs> right? <laughs> some sort of paint or some sort of thing that maybe I don't want or uh, the electric uh, frequencies coming off a cement floor, for example. And then you kind yeah. of gently, you know, send back to me. It's like, well, are we, you know, are we really electrosensitive? Is anyone in your family electrosensitive? No, I'm just trying to mitigate. So it's like, okay, maybe we don't have to swing so far in this direction with this choice you're considering, you can go somewhere a little more midline because you, you know, we're not dealing with a person or people who are really sensitive to electromagnetic frequencies. We're just trying to mitigate things. So that was a really good thing about the process was like, 
okay, what are your goals? What are your resources? You know, and what's your actual, you know, health background a little bit too? Like how, how nitty gritty do we have to go? Right. And, and it's the same with all three of us, like in each of our consulting, you're not going to come in as a, as a naturopath and go, you need to do this now a hundred percent of the time, all the time, or you're not going to, you know, Shane, you're not going to be saying you need to be living outside in a tent right? right. and it needs to be a canvas tent or nothing else. Right. right. We, sure. There are gold standards and, but it's a spectrum and we have to, if I push someone too far, if I come in just swinging about their perfumes and, <laughs> and you know, their Febreze and all this stuff and I'm not going to get paid, you yeah. know, like they're just going to like shut down and, and back off and, and even though I'm passionate, even though we're all passionate and, and, and the listeners as well, that we want to help everybody, you have to be able to figure out how far you can, you can push someone so that they're still going to listen and hopefully adopt as many recommendations as possible. It, as you're saying this, I guess, um, have you ever worked specifically with anybody who had called you based on maybe uh, been diagnosed with something or an illness or sickness that they were saying, okay, we really need to make a big change here? Have you, have you worked with yeah. folks with that? Is that something that you... Yeah, environmentally hypersensitive people. So people who may be uh, sublimely chemically sensitive, uh, biologically to molds, okay. yeah. uh, electric sensitive. I had uh, one client react to the polyethylene screens on her south-facing window when the sun hit them. Wow. wow. Talk like, about unique, unique blade of grass. So we all are obviously yeah. the same, yeah. but different, different <laughs> at the same time, though, of course. Very yeah. interesting. And it took... Took me a while to figure that one out, um, but once we did, we were able to switch out to uh, just regular metal screens, and she could live in that half of the house again. Right. So it's a huge spectrum, and you know, when dealing with someone like new construction, you know, with Richard, that's not a question that came up because I'm like, I'm pretty sure you know he hasn't said he's sublimely sensitive. Right. So it's just as far down the rabbit hole, or as little as we need to go, to make sure that we're creating a healthier space for them. For sure. Yeah. I, um, well, I guess I want to try, maybe I'll even segue this one over to you, Richard, and, and talk about some of the negative health impacts. R Richard and I recently recorded a podcast on mitochondria health. So we got nitty gritty. We left cool. out a lot of the <laughs> stuff in regards to electromagnetic frequencies to tackle another day. But Richard, I thought maybe quickly kind of going over some of the, the negative health impact that say junk EMFs can have on us, or even maybe what EMFs are, and then see how uh, Stephen goes about testing for those things. Well, I'll, I'll let Stephen talk a little bit at the techie side of what EMFs are, because I think you'll do a better okay. job explaining it than me. Sure. But basically, it's our exposure to uh, frequencies that come off of our TVs or phones or um, appliances in our home, cell towers. So the man-made man uh, man frequencies, essentially. Yeah, and the they're, they're functioning at a certain frequency and how that might uh, affect our cellular biology. I see. Right? And right. so... Basically, there's a lot of arrows pointing towards sort of lipid peroxidation and basically oxidative stress at the cellular level, right? Which we talked about in our mitochondrial episode is, you know, pretty key in terms of smacking the mitochondria around pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, that's reductionist into the mitochondria. And I'm sure there are other effects oh, yeah. going on, like, you know, blood glucose um, metabolism in the brain sort of goes up when we're on our cell phone. So we know these things are happening. We know that there's are changes in our glucose metabolism when we're exposed to a cell phone pressed against our head. Right. We know um, that there's likely um, more oxidative stress at a cellular level. Um, so uh, 
that can have really profound impacts depending on a person's history, their trauma history, their other exposure history to things like mold, um, heavy metals, etc. So it's this whole compounding effect, right? And um, so EMFs in isolation may not be the worst thing ever. Well, we can have that you know discussion for a long time, I think, today. Um, but it's also like this cumulative burden. Um, and this is just another... Uh, potential huge hammer that uh, our biologies are, are dealing with at this time. Right. Yeah. So yeah, what is yeah. What, what exactly is or some of the tools that you use to test for this, and what I guess maybe you could speak on the difference between like natural natural EMFs or say the ones that you're testing for and trying to eliminate. How, what yeah. exactly do you do to test? Well, first off, we're biochemical electrical creatures, mm-hmm. and so the challenge is from an electrical perspective is we don't operate on 110 volts. And we don't operate at a high frequency ranges. We do have an internal frequency. And if we're exposed to other frequencies, there is a, a dissonance uh, within our body. Because just like two tuning forks um, at different frequencies, uh, they just, it sounds weird in your head. and makes you all uncomfortable. It's the same thing happening in your right. body. So with uh, first the low frequencies, which is wiring, uh, can create electric and magnetic fields within your home. And you may have remembered vaguely from grade 11 physics, there was like a left-hand rule and a right-hand rule and there were fields and that's the fields. These electric fields and magnetic fields come off our wires. And so when there's wiring errors within the house, they can amplify these fields and some people are sensitive to them. The higher frequencies, these are uh, your... Uh, ultra high frequencies that's when we have the magnetic field and electric field come together and form this wave and so this sine wave this uh you know if we've ever seen emf uh, emr sort of uh, things about x-rays or tv rays or, or tv or radio we see this wave and you can imagine that as a clothesline and so depending on how that clothesline uh floats along um we're used to some of them, like the radiant energy from the sun, like, uh, you know, an x-ray, we can have some of them, but not too many of them. Uh, the radio waves that we listen to. Um, but what happens with these uh, cell phones and wireless technology is the clothesline holds clothes. And that's the data packs of information. And so it's not just the wave that's sort of coming in and and kind of hitting you in a, in, a, in, a, in a dissonant manner. But it's the fact there's a pair of jeans hanging on it that's going to slap you in the face. And so these packets of energy, especially at the higher frequencies like the 5G, can some of the frequencies at 5G can contain a tremendous amount of these packets because you want to watch YouTube while you're out in the bush. And so these packets come at, at a very uh, strong intensity that's difficult for us to process. And so these higher frequencies, you know, I use the example of a microwave. You know, a microwave is really good at cooking meat fast. Um, You know, your cell phones and your high frequency smart meters and all that, they operate at a high frequency. And they're really good at cooking meat fast. Right. So whether you're putting it up against your head or you're putting it in your front pocket. Right. um, Gentlemen, well, it's making it's making me think of a public service announcement right now that I feel like is necessary, and we'll use my story as the teachable. Because when I was in university, I had to drive about forty five minutes to uh, undergrad every day, and uh, I actually at that time had an old cell phone, like an old flip phone, and I would actually keep it 
um, not my pocket because my skinny jeans wouldn't allow that, but I would actually put it <laughs> underneath of basically my, my testicles. I kid yeah. you not. And I would drive to school 45 minutes and if I'd get like a call or, or I don't even know if we texted back then. But anyways, I would know it was vibrating because I could feel it where I could feel it, right? So yeah. it's uh, – <laughs> yeah, if we only knew uh, some of this stuff back then because, uh, I mean, yeah. I was very much a health nut. I probably wouldn't have done it if I really would have – known this right but yeah uh, one of my colleagues calls it the gentle vasectomy when you put it in your uh, yeah, yeah yeah gosh <laughs> keep my fingers crossed on that one because i don't have kids yet so we'll see but um but but with every technology again we do, we want to be clear that i'm not telling you be you know to go back to smoke signals right. um we can have these technologies we can use these technologies responsibly um that said you're not as important as you think you are <laughs> You don't true. need no. to answer that text while you're on the road. You don't so need true. to respond instantaneously. Right. And that culture, uh, especially with the young people, because the technology is designed to be super addictive. Mm -hmm. um, all of them are super addictive. And, and it's hard to break that. There's some research that says cell phones are, are more addictive than crack cocaine. Yeah. Um, and I absolutely believe it. It was interesting. I, I had the strange opportunity to be in a casino with another building biologist. Uh, we were on a giant road trip and uh, the casino games are all digital now and they look exactly like iPhone games. Mm. And it's because that addiction is so fine tuned that they're just keeping it. They're just, right. yeah. Well, it's like this double benefit I've found since we moved into our place because we've wired everything. We don't have wireless. And so, um, just noticing my different relationship with my phone that's developing, right? Um, and that feels healthy in and of itself from a behavioral perspective. Never mind, you know, the the radio frequencies that aren't kind of cutting through me to the same degree, but I'm actually, you know, I have a um, space between myself and that phone that's a little bit different, which is yeah. really healthy in its oh, own way. Sure. Oh, it's like, oh, maybe I'll do a little more meditating or maybe I'll do some breath <laughs> read a work book. or read a book. Yeah. I've actually gone to the library like three times. Right. right? So it, these benefits are like the, the negative effects compound, but the benefits compound in mm. the other direction. Totally. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And it's, Agreed. it's definitely something that we have to, I think there's a little bit of a prerequisite rewilding of the mind and the way that we view the world before obviously coming in and making these decisions to say, hey, that's it. I'm not going to have Wi-Fi in my house. I mean, to many that, in this day where we're so connected, that might just sound crazy. But again, I think yep. just, just putting those little bit of barriers up there for ourselves could be huge for our health. Um, what exactly? But so, so I yeah, could, I could just a couple quick suggestions yes. Mm -hmm. yes. for the listeners. So first turn everything off at night. Mm -hmm. That's a huge, huge step. Um, you could put your router on a power bar with a built-in timer so oh, wow. that at 11 o'clock, whatever uh at night it goes off and at 7 a.m it goes back on because i could tell you to turn it off like pull the switch or well, something like that and you'll do it like three times I, before that i'm guilty <laughs> i'm guilty of just that yeah trying to unplug yeah, it and sure, then right? it's got to re-up boot the next day when i'm trying to get yeah. on, you know it's just not yeah wasn't cool yeah. so yeah the timer. so like. so a timer a power bar with a built-in timer cost effective you should have a power bar on your uh equipment anyway to protect it uh, for those people who don't want to use a router, you could actually use your own uh, computer. So you have one hardwired computer, and from that you generate a hotspot. It's going to be less, uh, it's not as strong a signal, right? It's not supposed to broadcast through the whole neighborhood, but you could generate a hotspot with your uh, iMac or your uh, your Windows book. Right. And then when you go to bed, turn it off. 
And then uh, I have a, a router I bought from the Netherlands and it has a new software in it where I can actually throttle how far it broadcasts. No so I can mm. throttle it so that within 10 feet, you can get the Wi-Fi and beyond that, you won't. That's awesome. Um, and it reduced uh, way signal strengths really down. And once you pair all your digital appliances, once they are off, the Wi-Fi actually shuts off. So it actually recognizes that, oh, there's nobody needs Wi-Fi because only these ones are allowed on the Wi-Fi. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm going to sleep. And there's a button you can just turn the Wi-Fi right off. So what's uh, what's the name of that? Uh, do you know? Uh, that brand was JRS Wireless. Okay, cool. Um, I'll throw it in the and, show notes uh, for folks. That's something I think people would be really interested in. So these are, yeah, I don't have any association with them. Yeah, cool. I just came yeah, across yeah. it and I thought it was super neat. And uh, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah, this basically. Is, this is great. You're all just like getting these little mm. tidbits of, hey, there's some simple hacks you can do here. So um, because what I'm, I don't know if you find this, uh, generally speaking, but there is a level of denial. In and around yeah, yeah. EMFs and radio frequencies and everything that we've kind of touched on here, and so there's a little bit of burying our head in the sand. It'll just go away. Well, right? you don't. See it, you I'm don't talking see it, more right? collectively. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, so if we can have these conversations, say, hey, maybe it's just about mini- minimizing your exposure and turning your thing off at night, and you know, so then we can take our head out of the sand a little bit. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm strongly against the black and white sort of battles, no matter what mm. they are. Mm. Um, everything's a spectrum and it's, a, and it's well about finding that middle ground where people can, we can push them enough and it fits within their lifestyles that it's easily adoptable. So and once that gets in place, we can move farther. Right. So you're saying we don't all have to wear tinfoil hats then? I thought that was going to be, I was going to ask you for your top three recommendations. And I thought maybe tinfoil hats would be one of them. Definitely so. a tinfoil hat. Okay. Cool. Tinfoil too. No, they're going to be least. fashionable soon enough. Yeah, you, yeah it's just cold wait. enough yeah. today. We got to wait till the fashion industry catches up to this whole rewilding movement. And then, uh, yeah, we'll all see tinfoil yeah. hats. Recycle, so I to, recyclable ones too. I wanted to sidestep if, uh, off sure. the EMF, unless you had another question about EMF. Uh, no, I was just curious about like what type of, like uh, if there's at-home meters people could use to test. I have one more question, but we could totally segue yeah, off. No, go and ahead, I could, go ahead. Well, no, it was just, yeah, what, what type of meters are you using? One, and then um, to say assess an area. What I'm, I guess my question is twofold in that I spend most of my day as a researcher here on my computer. I've got yep. podcasts going now, so I've got all these like things plugged in and around me, right? I've got Wi-Fi going, but I also use one of these earthing uh, mats that are going to help me keep grounded and it's plugged into the wall, into the grounding outlet. Now, Richard actually brought up an interesting question as we were, I have it literally, I have my hands on it right now on the desk, but he brought up an interesting point saying, well, if our laptops are on it and everything like that, like how much is this helping the, say, me ground to the earth and negate the negative impact of emfs or is there's enough things going on here that's plugged in maybe grounded or not maybe shielded or not that's throwing off enough juice that's totally i'm not doing anything positive that is a challenge um and uh the grounding the earthing mat can be a very helpful thing and a very healthful thing and it can make things worse yeah um it's a function of the conditions so typically within your uh office space I recommend the very expensive and very complicated solution of twist ties. You know, like just- <laughs> those are expensive. Though. So doing what? Doing what with the twist ties? Wire all your wires together. Okay. So all your plugs, all your cords, everything. Put them in a big bundle. 
All right, because you're going to have some that are grounded wires, three prong, and you're going to have some that are ungrounded, two prong. And so those two prong ones are looking for a field. They're looking for ground. They're looking right. for earth. And biologically, we are very close to earth, uh, you know, electrically. And so um, if we can bundle all those wires together with twist ties, zip ties, I don't really care. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to reduce the fields generated from those. And is wherever possible throughout the house where we can ground two pronged appliances, that's also going to reduce the field. Mm -hmm. So even like around your bed, uh, because we want to make the bedroom the healthiest space possible. Okay. You know, keep that right, light and lamp and clock and all the electrics away from you as much as possible. And where possible, if you know, you've got a couple of things, a clock and a, and a light, put the power bar right up to the back of your nightstand okay and then get the two cords right up to that so that the rest so that the bulk of that is actually all three wire okay so simple cost effective solutions right yeah no i like that what um if someone were to say like if i want to test this here in in my room what type of maybe at home meter yeah, some is something that i could use or and maybe what's an acceptable or safe level for this emf yeah so uh in North America, Safe Living Technologies, they're actually out of Guelph. Um, they sell the gigahertz tools, which are definitely internationally recognized as top-notch high-quality tools. And they have uh, a range of measurement tools, low-frequency, high-frequency, for both the professional and sort of the home consumer. I see. And uh, and those are great quality tools. Those okay. are what I use. Right. Okay. Um, and, and the owner happens to be... Uh, one of the instructors of the EMR class at the Building Biology Institute. So, oh, really cool. Um, he's, awesome. We'll definitely just, put a little... Yeah, they're a great resource. <laughs> I'll put, yeah, and Richard had sent me yeah. that over, so I'll put that uh, link to those guys there in the show notes for yeah. sure. Um, no, that was basically my question in regards to that. So what uh, cool. what exactly were you going to... Uh... So I wanted to talk about the idea of, of the, the, the rewilding of our homes. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to give an example of a story mm -hmm. that uh, helped people resonate with the idea of this. And it was actually about two parrots. <laughs> um, and my uh, colleague, Paula Baker Laporte, uh, she has beautiful homes. She's an incredible architect, uh, author, uh, Prescriptions for a Healthy House, a great book I, I strongly recommend. Uh, she creates these beautiful eco nests, which are straw clay homes, just award winning. Um, she designed a building for uh, parrots. Um, this woman had parrots and wanted a home and uh, and she learned a lot and she taught me about uh, you know the needs of parrots and so I get this call literally a couple of weeks after after having a conversation with Paula this client has parrots and all their feathers are falling out and they're freaking out hmm. and they're like all right we need to fix the parrots so I come over and they're in a corner in the kitchen you know in the dining room kitchen area white wall white wall oh. sharp corners right and they're covering the parrots with a plaid flannel blanket. And the idea is none of that exists in nature. None of it. There's, there's no plaid in nature. And the birds were freaking out biologically stressed because there was nothing natural around them at all. And so I said, you have to put some plaster, some different coloring, like even if it's the old 1980s, 1990s sponging, which is ugly as sin, don't do it, but like any variation in color right. around them. And then to like buy a camouflage blanket for them, you know, camouflage mm. so that there, there's something sort of less patterny and a little more natural. 
and uh, and wow. the birds got better. Wow, really? Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> we're the same. Totally the same. And it's, it's your story recalls my time in living in a high rise, which I did for about a year and a half of my life when I um, I was actually a personal trainer at the time. And so yeah, living on the 17th story, and it was the first winter where I actually kind of started to feel the. <laughs> a little bit of like seasonal depression kind of come on. And at the same time, I really needed to kind of ground myself. And I realized that like the 17th story was not the place for a guy like me who really likes to be in contact with the earth. And then the gym that I had worked at at the time was actually in a basement. So again, very all LED lighting, very little real sunlight, even the time of year where we don't have much sunlight. So yeah, yeah, myself, it was, it was, we moved out of that place just because, but at the same time, I really look back and I realized the impact that made on my biology and how quick it actually impacted me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great so, story. So when, mm-hmm. Yeah, so when we're bringing coal mine. Na- nature, yeah. sorry. sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. So when we're bringing nature into our homes, we can do simple things. Even if we're uh, 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 renting, is just using natural paints to have a little more color variation. Mm-hmm. We can use natural plasters to put in some texture variation as well as color variation. We can uh, use more natural materials, unfinished wood with beeswax, cork, um, things like that that just add that nature uh, and variation for our eyes. For sure. And you, well, it's interesting you talking about beeswax and and natural wood. I know there's the big uh, trend right now that's going towards like barn board, old barn board that people are taking Mm -hmm. from decomposing out in nature for, you know, a hundred year old barn. And then they're putting that in their home and that actually bringing in things like mold spores and obviously so i don't know if you can yeah. comment on that is not not necessarily being the best yeah i i've also heard that there's you know some people taking barns down to make a ton of money and uh, i'm a heritage guy so i don't want Ooh, to see yeah, the barns true, right? go down um but that variation we crave nature we mm-hmm. crave it and now we can buy fake fireplaces mm-hmm. that are gas that have fake wood we can buy you know, stones that we can stick to the outside of our house because we want the understanding of stones. We know it's supposed to be, we crave nature. Right. And this deficit in our urban environments is impacting our health. And we can see how much we crave it by the fact that you can go buy fake looking wood that's really just color photocopied, like glued together with sawdust. Like that's all laminate flooring is. We crave it so bad that our bodies are screaming at us that there's a demand for crap when in fact it's not what we need. We need the real deal. Again. Yeah. Just a a capitalism, definitely a flaw in the sense that it's, it's providing a, you know, something for us that we are in demand of, but it's not exactly what we're really truly searching for. We're in demand for the real rocks and the real wood. And um, yeah, yeah, it's it's making me think of like potato chips and how it's, you know, full of salt, (laughs) but none of that salt is the real salt that our bodies are actually looking for. Right. So yet again, it's just a cheap commodity that we're being kind of bought and sold. But now that we have this, this perspective on, how our physiology is being affected and how our nervous system is being affected and at a cellular level or at a behavioral level. It's like, ah, oh, okay, maybe we can kind of shift that gear in terms of your comment on capitalism mm-hmm. and our drive for all yes. this um, faux nature stuff. Well, right. maybe there's a drive to something different that can be uh, not just sustainable, but regenerative, regenerative both to yeah. our physiology, to the earth on which we reside. Uh, I think that that is... A possibility. I think we just have to keep having these sorts of conversations, right? At the very I least, I, I think with the rewilding of our homes, we really we don't all have the luxury of new construction. Some of us may be renting, and mm-hmm. so thinking about your sleeping space, your bedroom. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, it's an important yeah, space, spe- obviously, right? 
that's where a body's healing itself. So if you're going to make any room healthy, spend your money there. Now, yeah, maybe you can't even afford or can't, aren't allowed to like plaster your walls. You can buy a beautiful little bonsai plant, you know, kind of like the Japanese kind of meditation approach. Just bring a little bit of nature in, bring, you know, it's not about quantity. It's about quality. Totally. And so small steps for everybody within your budget, you know, instead of the vinyl blinds, maybe we save up a little bit more and buy a wooden blind, you know, just little details that don't have to be, you know, break the bank. Um, Every little step helps in bringing nature and creating nature within your home and creating a healthier environment. Without a doubt. Um, no, that's really great. I uh, I found this so informational. We're coming up to the hour. Richard, do you have any other questions before we uh, oh, call about, it a, call about it a, a million? But you we'll, that, we'll save them for one. another day. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. I really do appreciate it because uh, I think we got into a lot of the stuff in regards to EMFs, which is a hot topic right now, um, and just overall your profession. I'm super fascinating. And now as we actually think about it, maybe I'll just have you come in with some of your meters here and check out my <laughs> office because uh, I literally am glued to my computer throughout most of my day as a PhD student. So. If yeah. I can uh, just make sure I'm not getting over over buzzed here from everything. Well, maybe that, we'll do a live uh, live yeah, podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll see exactly what's <laughs> going on in, in my home here. Um, but no, I guess tell tell folks how they can learn more about building biology, um, the Building Biology Institute, and things like that if they are uh, interested in learning more. Yeah. So the Building Biology Building Biology Institute website is buildingbiologyinstitute.org. Great website, lots of free information. There's actually one-page summaries on a ton of these stuff that we've touched on today. One-page free summaries you can download. If you want to learn more, you can actually purchase you know, the 15-page uh, information on it. Uh, there's seminars, there's certification, there's courses. So buildingbiologyinstitute.org. My website is yourhealthyhouse.ca, yourhealthyhouse.ca. And uh, lots of free information, links to all my podcasts, uh, videos, articles I've written. So tons of free resources, whether you're renting or owning. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thank you so much. I will definitely uh, make sure everybody knows how to find you there and your podcast, as I'm sure a lot of our uh, listeners might want to actually just dive deep into this whole topic. So it's great to have you on today, Stephen. I thank you very much. Check out uh, Your Healthy House, Stephen's podcast. And until next time, stay wild. Thank you for listening to the Rewild My Bio podcast. Please subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating if you've enjoyed this episode. I would greatly appreciate it if you shared the show with your friends, if of course you think they would like it. You can also visit rewildmybio.com to download previous episodes and sign up for the newsletter. In the newsletter, I share blogs and bonus content from my health promotion research, along with practical tips to help you rewild in a modern world. Please follow along on Instagram and Facebook at RewildMyBio and on Twitter at Sean Slade. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, stay wild.